Here we are at Zechariah 10. Um, so reviewing again super quickly, um, this book of Zechariah uh, is a prophecy of one of the minor prophets um, in the Old Testament. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. Um, and so uh, we had kind of told the story of the Jewish people and how they got you know, the kingdom was separated into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, they were all taken away in slavery. Uh, uh, Daniel and his friends and so on, right? And when they're, so they spent 70 years in captivity and then they come back. Uh, and the emperor sends them back to rebuild uh, the walls of Jerusalem, that's like Nehemiah, and to rebuild the temple. That was Ezra. So you'll find all these books in the Bible, right? Uh, and that was around the time of Esther. It's funny how these things are all placed, right? Um, and early, like in the first session we had done, and you can find it on YouTube if you want to, we had done like an, a summary of like the entire Old Testament and where all these things fit in. Um, and it's funny because sometimes we know these people's stories or we don't, but knowing where they fit is like, oh, like these people all lived at the same time kind of. And Esther was the wife of the emperor, um, who sent Ezra back. Who would have known, right? Um, and the whole story of Esther and Mordecai and all of that, anyhow. Um, and so they go back and Ezra starts, puts the cornerstone for them to build the temple. And then they just stop for 15 years. Uh, and then come two prophets at the same time, an older one and a younger one. Haggai is the older one, who was the book right before Zechariah, and Zechariah, telling the people it's time to rebuild the temple. And we had mentioned previously many times that Haggai's message is only two chapters, but it's a scathing rebuke. And Zechariah is 14 chapters of encouragement. The first eight chapters were about there were these visions that Zechariah was having to encourage them to go and to rebuild and promises of prosperity if they go and they rebuild. And then the, the last part of the book, chapters sort of 9 through 14, the last five chapters in which we're in now, were images of the Messiah. So, and we kind of said, what's the relationship between like the coming of the Messiah and rebuilding the temple? Well, what's the temple? It's like the physical place where the, where the spirit of God dwells. It's the dwelling place of God on earth. Well, Jesus was the physical, uh, you know, the body of God on earth, the, the God man, the unity of divinity and humanity, right? And so there's certainly a relationship there, the coming of Christ. And the, and the building of the rebuilding of the temple was is, is somewhat analogous, right? Anyhow, here we are in chapter 10 um, uh, of the book of Zechariah. We'll try to cover chapter 10 and 11 today. So today is all about shepherds. Both 10 and 11 is all about shepherds. So maybe we'll get just get going reading. Does somebody want to read chapter 10 for us? Uh, and keep an eye out for stuff that you like or stuff you found inspiring. And uh, I'll ask first, the first thing I'll do is ask you to share a little bit. Anybody want to read? Stephen, you've got a good, strong voice. You want to read for us? Sure. Thank you. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of these latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak Because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses 
for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Glory be to the Holy Trinity, our God, unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So feel free to just put up your hand and share as we kind of go through one section and the next, or ask questions, or what does this mean, or uh, this was really beautiful, it reminded me of that. Don't feel, uh, don't feel shy to just, uh, to just jump in as we go. So this first part, um, this first part, um, verses 1 and 2, he says, ask for, uh, uh, for rain in the time of the latter rain. And he says, like, I will, I will give them rain. So what's he talking about there? So you may remember or not, like, it, 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 I could never remember. I have to look it up. There was an early rain, rain and a latter rain. The early rain was at, when, the, when there was the early rain, that's when they would go and sow seed. Because... The, 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 the rain would make the ground moist and then they would till the ground quickly and sow seed so that they could cover the seeds with the ground so the birds wouldn't eat it. Like anyone here planted grass seed to try to get grass to grow in your lawn before or something? Um, you put some topsoil and then you put your seed and then you put topsoil above it. If you don't put topsoil on top of your seed, you're going to see all kinds of beautiful birds on your lawn eating your seed, right? Um, which was probably not what you were hoping for, as beautiful as the birds are, right? And so the early rain was the time of sowing and the latter rain was the time of harvest. Um, and so the latter rain came just before the harvest. It was a complete disaster if the latter rain came at the time of the harvest because what was the time of the harvest? At the time of the harvest, they would know it was the time of the harvest because the leaves that kind of cover the fruit or the corn or the wheat would start to get dry. They would start to dry out. And if those got wet then and, and, and whatever fruit it was would get wet and soggy, then they didn't have like some kilns to dry it out or something like we do now. They would, it would rot. So the timing of the latter rain was really critical. Um, and the latter rain, if it came in its time, it would help the, the, the fruit to mature and it would help the fruit to be rich and fat and plump and, and juicy. Um, and so the latter rain was really a, a critical thing for it to come at the right time, especially for the wheat harvest or a barley harvest or something like that, where it was really important for the grains to, to, to be dry. If they got wet, if, then it was a disaster. If the rains came on time, then, um, then it would cause the fruits to mature. So this whole first part here is basically God promising that I will give you, I'll give you the, the latter rain at its time. And he says, just ask, ask the Lord for, for rain. Um, the fathers commonly interpret this early rain and the latter rain like this. They commonly interpret the early rain um, as, um, I'll just look, let me look it up so I don't uh, get it backwards. Um, it's, it was really beautiful when I read it earlier today. Um, they they uh, commonly ref refers to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit and the law of the, and the prophets as the early rain. Right. And then as the latter rain, which causes the maturity, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. So you see both rains as 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 the Holy Spirit descending from God in heaven. Right. One as as the law and the prophets and the Old Testament preparing us until there was a, a, a harvest, which was almost right. And then the latter rain coming of the Holy Spirit on the church and in the new covenant um, during Pentecost, like it says, the prophecy in Joel uh, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, which you find that also in Acts 2, 
um, about um, St. Peter saying that about the descent of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So that's a little bit of what he's saying there. Then he says in verse 2, For the idols speak delusion, diviners envision lies and false dreams. They comfort in vain, and so on. And then it ends with the first mention of a shepherd. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. What's he talking about here? He's talking about here, so what was happening at the time is the leaders of the people would go to soothsayers and to like our equivalent of psychics and palm readers and so on, diviners. Um, they would have idols in their homes and they would ask their idols you know, for, for guidance and so on, right? And all of these things were demonic, of course. And basically, instead of going to God, they were going to all of these other things. And he says, he says they're in, in trouble because there is no shepherd. The word shepherd here is synonymous with elder or ruler, right? Um, and he's, he's basically saying that the rulers were not, were not going to God. They were going to, um, they were going to other, uh, other sources, right? And that's why in the next verse he says, My anger is kindled against the shepherds. I will punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in battle. So what's going on here? Hold on a sec. Before you were angry with the shepherds, and in the same verse, then say you'll visit your, the house of Judah. And then he says, I'll make them as his royal horse in battle. So shepherds shepherd sheep, right? But he's saying... Under, under, these, under these false shepherds, under these, these bad shepherds, I will punish them and get them out of the way. And then when I'm done with them, they won't be sheep anymore. They'll be like horses in battle, right? So we see here a message of sort of transformation, right? And then here, this is specifically speaking about the Messiah. From him comes the cornerstone. Jesus is oftentimes referred as the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. What does a tent peg do? It keeps the tent from moving. It anchors the tent, right? So the Messiah will be the cornerstone. He'll be the anchor. He'll be the battle bow, the, like bow and arrow, right? Um, in an earlier chapter, we saw the Messiah referred to as, as the arrow which goes forth, and here as the battle bow. Uh, from him, every ruler together. Uh, so we find all of these are kind of symbols of the coming of the Messiah. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire in the streets in battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on the horses shall be put to shame. So he's saying here that they'll be victorious when they go out. Um, uh, when they go out in battle. He's not speaking about a particular battle here, a historical battle. Remember, we said some of these things are relating to historical events, but some of them are, are, are more spiritual. He's talking more here that those who are sheep led by false shepherds, when the Messiah comes and he leads them, they will be, uh, they'll be victorious in battle. Right? And then in verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah, I will save the house of Joseph. I'll bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. This is a really beautiful verse of restoration, right? They were, they were in captivity. They were, uh, had the sense of being forgotten by God. There's many times the prophets who prophesied in captivity. Ezekiel, Habakkuk, these people. The many times they say, God, have you forgotten us? You know, God, why have you left us? And so on, right? And many, sometimes maybe we would feel the same. We would feel captive uh, by certain thoughts or certain, fe certain feelings or certain temptations or whatever it may be, right? And we cry out to God and say, Lord, have you forgotten us? Lord, have you left us? Have you, have you abandoned us, right? But we find here that God is promising and he's saying, I will bring them back uh, because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though, they, as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Many beautiful promises there about how God um, will restore us. Those of Ephraim shall be like mighty men and their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. What's he talking about there? King David um, uh, often had a posse around him, right? And they were called... King David and his mighty men, right? 
And um, in uh, 2 Samuel, I think, 22, there's like a listing of the mighty men of David. Um, and he, he speaks a lot about, his, about the mighty men and their feats that they accomplished. And this one killed this many giants. And this, this one, you know, attacked like, like a whole, like, like a small army and, and, and made them all run, run for the hills. And this one did this and this one did that. And he's saying these, these who, that were sheep, like led by false shepherds just a while ago, just at the beginning of the chapter, Right in the coming of the Messiah, they'll become like mighty horses for battle. They'll become like mighty men. Can you imagine? You get the image here: mighty men clanging their like their 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 cups full of wine, like giving like each other cheers. You know, um, who are victorious in battle. Right. Then comes in verse eight another image. I will whistle for them and gather them. I will redeem them and they shall increase as they once increased. What's he talking about there? Um, shepherds in olden times would whistle to their sheep or they would, would play wing, you know, wind instruments like a little flute or something for their sheep and their sheep would hear it and they would gather. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says in, in the the Good Shepherd chapter, like it's really nice if you have time, maybe if we have time together, we could, you can compare th this description of all these different shepherds. We're going to read about all kinds of different shepherds here and compare them to the Good Shepherd in John 10. You'll find a drastic difference, right? But the, Jesus says about the Good Shepherd, he says, my sheep know my voice and I call them and they come, right? And what's Jesus talking about there? He's saying that the, she the shepherd would call his sheep through, like I was saying, like whistling or playing a, a little a flute or something, and they would hear his voice and they would come to him. And that's the image that he gives us here when he says, I will whistle for them and gather them, and I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. This, uh, they shall increase as they once increased, is giving us a, a, a promise of not staying the same. Like a lot of the time, I'll tell you the truth in my spiritual life or, or, or in other parts of my life, I will, I will wish that things were as good as they once were in the past. But what God is promising us here is not to bring us back to where we were in the past. Once upon a time, I used to pray, da, 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 da. once upon a time, I used to read more. Once upon a time, I used to, no, he's telling us, I will, I will increase them. I will give you more than I ever gave you in the past. Then he says, I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and they shall return. Uh, yes, Sorry, uh, not at all. Yes. But I don't remember why. Like all these promise and saving, I people I keep trying to find because I was in chapter nine. There was a part about how they got saved back from like bad things, but he was angry at them still, right? No, he he wasn't he wasn't angry with them. In in uh, in chapter nine, we read really beautiful prophecies that like I would have never known that this is what it was talking about unless I read some commentaries that he was angry with the Gentile nations who had tortured them right and he had God had allowed for Gentile nations to overcome them to teach them not to stray away from God but they didn't only overcome them like they took them to slavery and they they went to town on them right and in chapter 1 um, in chapter one, uh, God said that he was he was angry with them because they did they, they were like they were way too cruel, right? Um, I'll tell you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, verse fifty. I'm exceeding verse chapter one, verse fifteen. I'm exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. For I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. And the fathers were telling us that that is that, like in like in the book of Habakkuk, same story. God says that like I allowed 
the Babylonians, the Chaldeans to come to conquer them, to sort of punish them or not so much punish them, but bring it to their attention that if they, if they leave God, God is their protection, right? And if they, if they leave God's love and if they leave like the circle of God's protection, then they're doomed, you know? But then the, those nations went way too far. And then so chapter 9, a lot, the first half of it was all about kind of a prophecy about Alexander the Great and what he would do to all of these nations. And we talked about the Tower of Tyre and all of that, right? And then there was a prophecy in chapter 9 about the second, about, 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 about the coming of Christ and his entry into Jerusalem. And then after that, this bit about how God will save his people and he will crown them and he will be a banner over them and so on. So this happened, this prophecies and God will save his people because they repented, they did something good or? No, because God is good. Ah, okay. So that yeah. Yeah, they repented. They did repent for sure. When you hear the, you read the prayer of Nehemiah and the prayer of Nehemiah chapter one and the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, that you know they repented for sure. I mean, at least some of them did, you know. Um, but we find that we find that that God is just really good, and He is God is very good, and He brought them back. And then this whole chapter ten is really talking about the, this coming, the coming of the Messiah and all of the blessings that will come with the coming of the Messiah, right? And that, that's, which is iconic in verse, I want to say five, four, four, where he says that from him comes the cornerstone, from him comes the tent peg, from him comes the battle bow and so on, right? And from there you find from that point onwards, you find him talking about how he is a shepherd who will bring them back and then in verse 9, it's, it's prophetic actually of the, of, of the spread of the gospel. Because he will, says, I will sow them among the peoples. Like before he said, I'll bring them back. And now he's saying, I'll sow them among the peoples. But when I sow them into the far countries, they will remember me. Which is different than what had happened before. Uh, when they would go into other countries, they used to forget him and they used to worship idols. Right? Um, and so... Uh, I will sow them among the peoples, verse 9, and they shall remember me in the far countries. They shall live together with the children and they shall return. He's talking there about, about evangelism, about after the, 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 the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles, they went into all the world and preached the gospel in all the known world, right? And then they shall return. He's talking here about bringing them back to the heavenly kingdom, right? I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and to gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. Um, the land of Egypt is always portrayed as the stronghold of Satan. The land of Assyria, Assyria are the, is the nation that had conquered the, the nation of Israel. Babylon and the Chaldeans had conquered the nation of Judea uh, or Judah. Um, and so he's showing here that even like even the nation of Israel will be redeemed. They were idolatrous from the start. They were like terrible and they got taken away in captivity much earlier, the northern kingdom, than the southern kingdom did, right? And I'll bring them to Gilead. Gilead was a, a, a very lush uh, valley country and Lebanon also was considered a place of like of wealth. Um, and you see Lebanon is going to come up a little bit later as well in the beginning of chapter 11. Uh, verse 11, He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So again, the nations that had tormented them, the nations that had overcome them, the nations that had enslaved them, um, God will, God will take His vengeance upon them. In this, you know, like I understand this personally, spiritually, that there is a there is a judgment which is coming. When I think of that, I don't necessarily think of like a judgment against me, but judgment against my enemies. My enemies here are not people or whatever, but like the temptations that that torment my soul. You know that. They will not torment me forever, you know? If you're tempted by uh, 
lust or gluttony or love of money or materialism or pride or or whatever it is, you know, and you try as you may to live a holy life and you fall in sin and you repent and you try and this and that. Like, take comfort, take joy that one day there is a kingdom of heaven in which these, like, these captives of yours, these tormentors of yours will no longer be. Like, they will, justice will be rendered, not justice as in, like, you know, like, you know, they'll be punished to hell forever. No, justice as in a setting a right, a justification, you know, like, you know, in your word processor, you could have like all the writing on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen, or it could be justified, a setting straight, a making things right, you know, and uh, there will be a making things right well, where we will no longer be tormented by all of these, these, these different demonic temptations right so that's how that's how i read all of this uh, all of this stuff about the coming of the day of the lord and the coming of the vengeance of the lord and the destruction of the enemy and all of that you know even in the prayer uh so some uh, a bishop um uh, Ari love was asked this question uh, when he was visiting us here recently um about in the prayer of the litany of the assemblies um we say um uh, strip their vanity show them their weakness speedily bring to naught their envies their intrigues their madness their wickedness which they commit against us disperse their counsel O god as you disperse the counsel of ahithophel um when we're saying like bring to naught their envies their intrigues their madness their wickedness hum humiliate them under our feet speedily like, we're not talking here about, we're not praying and asking God to humiliate, like, I don't know, your boss that is, is abusive at work, that hum, humiliate your boss under your feet speedily. Like, there's only one time where, in scripture, where it says, and God will crush so-and-so under your feet speedily. It's one of my favorite verses, Romans 16, 20, you know, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet speedily, right? And we're not talking here about like, we, I, I don't look forward to the torment of the demons. Like I, that's, I'm, not, I'm not sadistic, you know, right? right? But what I, look, what I look forward to is justice. What I look forward to, not justice like for somebody to be punished. No, what I look forward to is a world where things are fair. You know, like it really stinks when I'm like playing with my girls in the, like, you know, like in the park or something and some kid like runs, goes on the slide, you know, and then like my daughter's waiting for her turn to go on the slide and that kid runs and goes on the slide again. You know what I mean? And then like my daughter's like, you know, wants me to do something and then I'm like, what am I going to do? Like beat the other kid, little, little kid up, like, right? You know, so I tell her it's okay, just be patient, right? And the kid goes down the slide and I'm like, go, 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 you know, right? Um, and, you know, so she can go before him and then she comes down the slide and says, but daddy, it's not fair. It stinks. And it sucks to tell your four-year-old daughter that life isn't fair. Like, you know, I'm sorry to break it to you, sweetheart, but nothing on this earth is fair because justice has not yet been rendered. And this is not, I'm not talking about justice again in terms of like, I want that kid to go like to juvie, you know what I mean? For, for you know, for, for, for having gone down the slide twice and not let my, not, no. No, I don't, want, I don't want anybody to be punished. I don't want the kid to be punished. I just want things to be fair. I just want everybody, every kid to take their turn. No kid pushes any other kid. Every, and everything is just right. That's what we want. We want things to be right, you know? And when we say it, when we're, when we're praying these prayers, we're, we're, we're praying them, asking God for, for that justice. Again, not in the sense of punishment, but in the sense of setting things aright. And also, we're, they're also prophetic. They're also like, we're, we're rejoicing in the fact that justice is around the corner. And a setting a right of things is around the corner. And in the coming of the Messiah, everything will be set aright. So that's how I read all of that. And then the last verse in this chapter, verse 12. So I will strengthen them in the Lord and will make, and, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. So many times people um, uh, will text me and say, like, Father, pray for me. I'm tired. I'm, I'm going through a hard time, this and that. And I'll just Google 
like the word or like searching my Bible for the word strengthen. And this is another beautiful promise. I will strengthen them um, in the Lord. You know, they will walk up and down means they will go like they'll go out and they'll come come back in. Says the Lord. So God is encouraging us in many, many different ways here about the coming of the Messiah. Now we could say, oh, like, well, all of this has to do with the coming of the Messiah. I guess, it, I guess we just have to wait till then, right? No, all of this has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that could be his coming into my day. That could be his coming into my time right now. You know, we don't necessarily have to interpret it only in a messianic sense, but in a spiritual sense, in my union with him, in my union with him, I can be encouraged um, I can be encouraged by him. I have to tell you the truth. Um, the most encouraging thing for me in the whole wide world is when I need encouragement and God himself speaks that encouragement to me through scripture or through a person talking to me, speaking about something incredibly relevant in my life that they could have never had any idea of. It's almost like God put the word on their tongue in that moment. You know, and then I know that God is a living God. I know that God is aware of of the circumstances of my day. He's aware of like whether I'm happy today or I'm sad today or I'm, you know. And it often comes from the the places I least expected, you know. But I encourage you, and I am encouraging myself to keep my eyes peeled for His encouragement, to keep my ears peeled for His encouragement, and. Uh, for his words of comfort because they, they come to us in the, in the ways sometimes that we least expect them. I think we're good to do chapter 11 as well. So maybe somebody, Yusuf, do you want to read for us chapter 11? Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour yourselves. Wail, O Cyprus, for the sea has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is a sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is a sound of roaring lions, for the pie of the Jordan is in ruins. Thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer be the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bombs, and I fed the flock. I dismissed the three shepherds in one moment. In one month, my soul loathed them, and their soul has abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut into my other staff, bombs, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd, for indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed, feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the grooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blind. Glory be to the Holy Trinity, our God, unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So, we find that the tone has totally changed, eh? Everything is 
like you wanted a you want to do a doom and gloom chapter Hanan here you got it right um, so the last chapter was I will restore them I will bring them in I will send them out I will, they will increase they'll increase more than they've ever increased before and so on and then all of a sudden open your doors O Lebanon that fire may devour your cedars what's that all about so you know anybody here has seen the flag of Lebanon it has a cedar on it right they are this they're very like the Lebanese are very proud of their cedars right um, cedar wood is very expensive um, and very beautiful and it's a it's a it's a very strong wood when King David and King came to build his house um, he, he used cedar wood when Solomon came and built his own house and built the temple he built it out of cedar wood and they brought it down from Lebanon and Syria and so on so the, the, the fire may devour your cedars he's saying here like that like the foreign nations will be will be devoured wail O Cyprus um, for your cedar has fallen your mighty trees are ruined O oaks of Bashan oak trees as you know are oak is, is a hardwood oaks are beautiful big massive trees right um, for the thick forest has come down Bashan was uh, a nation that the children of Israel encountered on their way out of Egypt just east of the Jordan and they they conquered they conquered them in midnight praises we sing you know like uh, you, you king you, you conquered uh, the king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan right um, so that's what that's referring to um, there's a sound of wailing shepherds. So here there's, there's shepherds that are mourning for their glories in ruins. And there is the sound of roaring lions for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. So you see here, like, this is all just a picture of destruction. And so what happened? The Messiah before an increase and blessing and all of this. And all of a sudden, all this destruction. What happened between the two? Then God tells Zechariah, Thus says the Lord my God, Feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. He's saying here that these wailing shepherds are shepherds who, again, the word shepherd here is synonymous with leader, who would feed their flocks, but not for the well-being of their flocks. Remember, compare this, keep comparing this in your head to John 10, the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd doesn't need anything from the sheep. He loves the sheep for who they are, not for what he can get out of them. But these shepherds are feeding their sheep for slaughter. They're raising them for slaughter. And then they go and they say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, um, and their shepherds do not pity them. Right? And he says, the same as they didn't pity the people they were supposed to be leading faithfully, I will also no longer uh, pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand, into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver from their hand. All of, all of this is very dark, right? And you've got to wonder what happened between chapter 10 and chapter 11, and we'll see in a minute. Actually... Instead of saying, we'll see in a minute, we read the chapter together. Was there anything that resonated? Like, I know some of this stuff is very kind of cryptic and, you know, but some of it may, may not be. Did, is there anything that we read that, like, rung, rung a distinct bell? Yes. Yes. So here, the summary, this whole chapter is talking, this whole chapter is talking about the rejection of the Messiah. So we see very clearly in chapter 10, the acceptance of the Messiah, and in chapter 11, the rejection of the Messiah. So we find here, there's, this is critical, okay, folks? This is so, so, so important. Not this bit about the Messiah, but look, let me share, let me share like a little secret with you. All of the promises in Scripture are made to Christ. All of the promises in Scripture are made to Christ. 
So oftentimes, like you read a promise in scripture and you're like, well, does this apply to me? Like, in, I'm just looking here in, 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 um, in chapter nine. I'm just looking at what I have underlined. Uh, verse 12, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare to you, I will restore double to you. Now, can I read that and run? Like, okay, God will restore double to me. So whatever I've lost, God will give me double, right? My car got stolen this week. God will give me two cars, right? Is that, is that how I'm supposed to understand this, right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But one thing I know for sure, that all of the, all of the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. All the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And that's where we get to, okay, well, you're saying, well, what does this have to do with me? So here's a, a book about all the great things that will happen to Jesus, right? <laughs> Forgive me, Father John, why do I care? I don't know what's, I don't know what's coming to me, right? I know you're not saying that. You're not nearly that, as, as rude as I am, but right? But this is the key thing. St. Paul is telling us, look, all this good stuff is coming to Jesus, but you can be in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, all this good is coming to you. How do I be in Jesus? It's very simple. Over and over and over and over, St. Paul talks about it in different ways. But it's very simply by living a life of continual repentance. When I, when I sin, I go out of Jesus. What I'm doing is out of bounds. What I'm doing is outside the norms of, of the life of Christ. Why in the church are we so obsessed with feasts and fasts? Why? Because they all go, they're all kind of revolve around the life of Jesus. So we're, we're living the life of Jesus on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and on an annual basis. On a weekly basis, just look at our book of hours. We start with the first hour, the resurrection, the ninth hour, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the sixth hour, his crucifixion, the ninth hour, his death on the cross, the eleventh hour, his being taken down off the cross, the twelfth hour, his burial, the, the, the midnight prayer, his coming in the middle of the night, the second coming of Christ. We're living, we're living the life of Christ with him all throughout the day. We're reflecting on his life and we're living his life with him. It, on a weekly basis, the same thing. Wednesday, we commemorate the betrayal. Friday, the crucifixion. Sunday, the resurrection and so on, on an annual basis, like the calendar, the annual calendar of the year, starting with this Sunday with, with talking about John the Baptist and then the Annunciation and so on and so on, right? His birth, and, you know, and, right? And so we're obsessed with living the life of Christ. You know what it's like? It's like there's a highway, which is the life of Christ, right? And then we're obsessed with the on-ramps, you know? And if we somehow got out, if somehow we got off, like somehow we went off the beaten track, somehow we went, we went out of bounds, then we're looking for an on-ramp to get back on, right? For ourselves and for the whole world to encourage everybody to come and participate in the life of Christ, right? And in that life is joy and blessedness and all of what we find in chapter 10. In chapter 11, we find what happens with, comes with like, like Auntie Sue and Auntie Moshira properly pointed out to us, the, the rejection of Christ, the betrayal, the betrayal of Christ, right? And so here he's talking about shepherds who are not following, are not following God, right? A lot of the prophets, God asked them to do crazy things. God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. God asked Isaiah to do wild things. God asked Ezekiel to do crazy things. He shaved his head at one point. He walked around naked for three years. He cooked his food on excrement, like a pile of animal poo, and lit it on fire to, to, to cook his food and all of this, to show the people of Israel as like they were kind of demonstrative sermons. So commentators are not sure whether Zechariah actually went and bought himself a bunch of sheep and then did this, fed them like till they were fat and then sold them for slaughter with, without like even any sense of concern at all or, or whether these were just things he said. But in any event, he demonstrated these things to the people, right? Then there's this bit about the two staffs, the one I will call beauty and the other I will call bonds, right? 
Um, the, the first one, which is beauty, could also be understood as grace or favor. So he's saying that he, like, he'll give like the, 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 this flock that rejected, that rejected Christ, he'll give them like momentary favor. And the other one, bonds, the word bonds here um, kind of means unity. Um, like something bonded together, like glued together. That's what the actual uh, Hebrew word there means, right? And so what's it talking about there? All the nations came together, the, Jew, the Jews and the Gentiles were bonded together when? In the life of Christ, at his crucifixion, right? And, and the Jews proclaimed loudly, we have no king but Caesar, all of a sudden, right? They hated Roman rule, they hated the Roman occupation. But all of a sudden, they were united against a common enemy, which was Christ, right? I have dismissed the three shepherds in one month. A lot of commentators really say we have no idea what he's talking about here. Abuna Tadros says that these are Moses, Aaron, and, and Miriam. That in the, in, the, in the dismissal of Christ, or in the, in the rejection of Christ, came... The cross with which came the end of the law. But many commentators say we really don't know what this is talking about. Then in verse 9, then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. Um, this is again talking about the the these these wailing shepherds or the, these evil shepherds that have led their people astray. Then I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with the peoples. So he's saying here that whatever grace, whatever favor they had, although it was momentary, although it was, it was short-lived, it will end. So it was broken on that day, thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And then comes this part, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. If not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And these 30 pieces of silver are very uh, significant, not only in the future tense, because that's what they paid Judas for Christ, but also when you look back in Exodus, I think it's 32 if I'm not mistaken, that was the, the fair price of, for a slave. So Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. And Zechariah here tells them, pay me what you think is fair. And they pay him the price of a slave. So they say, you're, you're, you're no better than a slave. Zechariah here is like iconic of Christ, right? Um, so he's talking about his he's talking about the staff which is called beauty or grace being broken because right the, the part says so it was broken on that day right so what's what's he saying here let's take a step back big picture there's shepherds who don't give two pence for their sheep right and He's saying, I will give them grace, I will give them favor, I will give them beauty for a short period of time. These false shepherds, these wicked shepherds who feed their flock just so that they can send them for slaughter. And then after a while, they stop feeding them altogether. That was the verse right before in verse 9. I will not feed you. Let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. Right? these wicked shepherds. But God gave them grace for a short period of time. He gave them favor for a short period of time. Um, Abuna Tadros was saying in chapter 9, we talked about the coming of Alexander the Great. In chapter 10 was, uh, was the time of the Maccabees. I had talked about it briefly last week. About 130, if I'm not mistaken, 150 BC, was this guy called Joseph Maccabee. Um, uh, 
from, from the tribe of Judah in Jerusalem. He became very powerful and he, he basically got an army together with him and they overthrew the Romans for a brief period of time, 20, 30 years. They, they were an independent state and they had free freedom of religion, right? That's chapter 10, like all of this freedom. Then in chapter 11, the coming of the Roman state after jo Joseph Maccabees and the coming of Christ and his rejection. So the, this idea that there was like like a brief time where these false shepherds, be it the, the, the Jewish rulers at the time, or be it the Romans who, who, who occupied uh, uh, Israel at the time of Christ, will have favor. And will, it will look like they're flourishing and it will look like everything is going good. But then he says in verse 10, and I took my staff beauty and I cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. That's the beginning of the part that you were talking about, right? And when the poor of the flock saw that, remember, who's suffering in all of this? The rulers are, have, the rulers are having a fine time, right? But who's suffering? The flock which is getting sent to slaughter and the flock which they just decided to stop feeding and said, let them eat each other, you know? So the poor of the flock, when they saw that, that the staff of beauty was broken, was shattered, that the rulers no longer had favor from God, then they rejoiced. The poor of the flock who were watching with me, is it, yes, well, knew that it was the word of the Lord, knew that, that something was happening from the Lord now, right? Does that make sense? Still, no? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Let's read on and we can come back to an Auntie Sue and I, I know you're very honest and won't let, won't let me off the hook. Don't let me, off, let, let me off the hook if it doesn't make sense. We'll come back to it, right? Then comes this part where he asks for his wages and they weigh them out and they weigh out 30 pieces of silver. The price, like we said, of a slave, right? And then this part, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of pillar and, silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. What does the potter have to do with the house of the Lord? Most commentators say that the priests used all kinds of different vessels for different kinds of offerings and so on, right? And they probably had a, a, a potter like on payroll who made pottery in the house of the Lord because there were various different things that to collect the ashes in, that to collect the blood and something, that to this, that to that, and so on, right? Now, why is that significant? Because in Matthew 27, right, uh, Judas goes and he throws the money in the temple and he said, I, I, you know, betrayed innocent blood. And they say, what do we have to do with your, with your money? It's like a, covered in, you know, in the blood of, of, of this person. And they say, well, we might as well do something with this money. So they take it and they buy the potter's field where they buried, where they buried uh, strangers, right? Um, and um, actually, there's like something very interesting is that in, in Matthew 27, it says, as in the prophecy of Jeremiah. But hold on a second. This is the book of Zechariah, not the book of Jeremiah. So what's that all about? But that's a very interesting conversation, maybe for another day, or for the questions and answers afterwards. And I'll need to look at, at my references to explain to you where the where there is a there is a prophecy also in Jeremiah 32 or 36 that's very similar. And the prophecy in Matthew is an amalgamation of those two prophecies. 
but because Jeremiah is the greater prophet, that's why he's the only one mentioned. Maybe. Or other people say, we don't know. You know? So if you don't buy that theory, that's fine. Some biblical scholars don't buy it either. Um, but that's the closest. I read a whole bunch of different theories, but that was the one that seemed to make the most sense. We could talk about it after if you want. Um, then I'll cut into my other staff, bonds, so that unity that happened between the Gentiles and the Jews for a very short period of time, he's going to break, right? And the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Judah and Israel, remember, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they were at odds almost all the time until one point where a king married the daughter of the other king, and that lasted for a short bit, but otherwise they were always, they were always at odds. And the Lord said to me, next take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. The word foolish here means like careless or, or not necessarily um, ignorant, but uh, someone who's sort of not making the most of themselves, you know. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. So he's going to eat his, his own flock, right? Woe to the worth, worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the coming of the Antichrist. In this, la in this last bit, a shepherd, so a ruler, who will be foolish and who will eat his own flock, right? So he's not looking out for the well-being of his flock, but rather he's using them for his own selfish purposes, right? Um, a sword shall be against his arm, uh, and uh, his arm will, be co will completely wither. So he's saying that like, at one point he'll be strong, but then a sword will be against his arm. If a sword hits somebody's arm, that person's arm will get cut off. Right, so his power will be cut off, and against his right eye, your eye is the thing by which you see, by which you gain knowledge, by which you know what's going on. Sort of like your intel, you know, if like if it was if this is like a false government or whatever. So their intel, um, so their their intel will get will get corrupted, right? So back to your your question, Auntie Sue. He's giving this this image of the of this false these these false shepherds and he makes Zechariah pretend to be one of them to give an example to them of what they're doing by rejecting the Messiah and their leaders causing them to reject the Messiah and he and he tells them to have two staffs one which is beauty favor right and the other one which is bonds or unity like two things bonded together right and the breaking of one and the breaking of the other are symbolic of something. So that means that for a time, there will, these false leaders, false shepherds will have favor and will be able to unite the people, right? And then after that, they will be broken so that favor will be gone and, and that, uh, and that uh, uh, unity will be gone. The, uh, I just remembered something that this business of the favor being gone which is the first staff being broken, which is the one that you were asking about. And then when the sheep, the, 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 the poor underlings, see that they have no more favor, they will rejoice because their cruel leaders are no longer in a position of strength or a position of power. Um, I just remembered that Abuna Tadros was talking that, about how this is like, if, if chapter 11 is about the Roman reign, then this breaking of, of the staffs could be also an un, like the like a prophecy of 70 AD where the Roman Empire the Roman Empire descended upon Jerusalem and completely destroyed it. Um, Titus, the brother of Vespasian, the emperor at the time, laid siege to Jerusalem and, and completely destroyed it. So, um, but when you were your your question was specifically about. The poor, yeah, verse 11, thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord, right? And so he, I think he's specifically referring to here, here to when the favor is taken away from these false rulers, the poor of the flock will see and they will rejoice because they'll say this is, 
this is like God, God's, not vengeance, but God kind of coming to redeem us, you know? We're the thought being the believers. Yes, the believers that are mixed, that are mixed in with, you know, all of these other people, right? Mixed in with all of these other people who, who were both Jews and Gentiles that were bonded together in the rejection of the Messiah. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.